Hey, and welcome back to another Tech Bound podcast episode. Today, I'm talking to Bill King. Bill is the current director of marketing at the AI-driven content brief tool Phrase. He is also the host of the Growth Optimal podcast and former marketing acquisition manager at Drift and senior inbound manager at HubSpot. Bill is a true powerhouse. And in this conversation, we cover topics like high-performance content briefs, working with large content organizations, incentivizing and motivating writers, and also the impact of GPT-3 on content creation in the future. Don't let this one slip through your cracks. Make sure to give me five stars and enjoy the conversation with Bill King. Three, two, one. Bill, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Kevin. It's super uh, awesome to be here. Very excited to chat with you today. Truly awesome. Truly awesome. We're long overdue for a conversation like that. That's right. <laughs> um, and to get it started, you actually was so kind as to post on Twitter uh, what people want us to talk about and what questions people have. And um, our buddy, Egal Stoltman, actually um, asked about SEO guidelines for non-SEO writers in 2021. So I was hoping we could just simply like jump into the topic of writer briefs and how to work with writers in 2021 as content is obviously the most important thing these days. So what's your take on sure. that? Yeah, sounds good. First of all, shout out Egal. Awesome guy. We got to uh we got to catch up over the pandemic. And it's been awesome to catch up with just people that I've like been tweeting with for uh you know when we're all stuck in our houses. So hopefully that trend continues. So SEO guidelines for writers, I think I think um the the way I've thought about guidelines for writers initially started as uh, frustrations with my own process where I would do a bunch of research on keywords, titles, all the standard things that come in what you would call like guidelines for a writer. I think the official term we call it at a phrase is called a content brief where you're basically taking SEO research and then translating that into guidelines for your writers. The way I think about it is it's basically just you want to design it as a knowledge transfer for your writers. And so you know this, you've run large content teams. Uh, writers come to your, uh, to your, into your org from so many different backgrounds, a very wide level of expertise when it comes to SEO, all the way from people that have never even thought about SEO to people that have worked for agencies and they were in content shops. And so they kind of get it. But I think most importantly is that you're able to basically transfer everything that you know as the expert over to the writer in a way that makes it easy for them to understand and is adoptable. And the best way I describe it is like, I think about content briefs slash guidelines, more of a product. So you as the product owner, if you're uh, constantly getting revisions, writers are saying, I don't understand SEO. Can you make this clear for me? Uh, if your content is missing the mark and it's not as optimized as you would like it to, to me, that speaks that you actually have a problem, almost like a funnel problem like you would for a product. So the best analogy would be like, if your product gets no traffic, you can't get signups. So you have a funnel problem, right? Uh, a different analogy would be you have a bunch of signups, but nobody pays. Uh, that's not really a user problem. That's more of a funnel problem, right? So that's where you start to think to yourself, how do I experiment, make this process of guidelines a lot easier? So if you have writers that don't, that aren't making it to the end product, a lot of this stuff, it actually is more on you as the, the, the process owner, the person who owns SEO for your specific business that you're writing, that you're, that you're, you're running. And so when I start thinking about that, you can basically automate and productize certain elements of a, of a content brief. So at phrase, we, we work on 
two different versions of content briefing for writer guidelines. We have the ability to just throw in a keyword and get like a pre-structured brief, but then really most folks, and I was actually a customer of the company previous to joining, um, most folks want to use a really custom brief because as you start to go through some of these guidelines, you're like, oh, actually it does make a lot more sense. I should be putting more thought into these briefs. So uh, let's get into the actual guidelines. So first of all, something that a lot of uh, SEO folks don't think about, but when you start doing guidelines at scale, there's a few things or questions I like to ask that will actually help the process of getting results from your research. And the first thing is probably to understand what motivates the writer. So I think that we oftentimes just jump into what's the topics, what are the questions, like all the, the technical aspects of SEO, because that's what our goals are. We know that our goals are to turn our research into traffic, but ultimately it's really important to understand what the writer actually cares about. Like, are they there to build up their portfolio? Are they there to increase their following on social media? Are they there because they want to make as much money as possible? So they want the process to be super smooth and they don't have to worry about a lot of these things as they're moving, just crank out content. Um, take a minute to really get to know the writer because Ultimately, you need to understand how to get the most or the best product out of that writer. And so that has nothing to do with SEO. A lot of folks don't want to write for SEO because there's a stigma that writing for SEO is sort of boring. You don't get to use your artistic creativity, et cetera. Make an attempt to understand the person behind the writing. If you have time, I would really take a second to just think to yourself, like, what is this person trying to achieve? Does that make sense, Kevin? Makes perfect sense. Absolutely. And I think cool. I, I love how you speak about the brief as a product, right? So to take a quick step back, I think like in, in my mind or in my world, there are two types of sites, right? There are these kind of scalable sites or aggregators like marketplaces, e-commerce sites, um, that's where, where like user-generated content plays a huge role, technical SEO, very top of mind. And then there is, there's the other side, right? More, I call them integrators or content-driven sites, and they have to create the content themselves. The benefit of having, of working on an aggregator or a scalable site is that you can build flywheels simply by like optimizing how UGC is generated and how to technically optimize that. On the content side though, building these flywheels and these repeatable systems or processes is much harder, but that's exactly where the content brief comes in, right? Like I see the content brief as the, the playbook that you refine and optimize over time to churn out better content, right? And that's, that's why it's so powerful. And I think good briefs are so important that they make or break, I think, of your content creation. And so, you know, you speak about how do you make it more interesting for the writer? How do you speak or appeal to the writer? What motivates the writer? And I think all of these are, are questions that we don't ask ourselves, but they're crucial when it comes to really scaling up SEO for a company. 100% agree. And I think what you said is super important for everybody listening. This is the part of SEO that is probably the least enjoyable as the SEO, but is probably the thing that gives you the most leverage when it comes to the external product that actually gets finished. And so uh, oftentimes when we say get to know the writer, people are like, geez, that's really time consuming. And I don't really have the time for that. Well, that's why it works. That's why it works. Like you can you can take some of the tools that you have out there and you can automate some of the data collection. You can automate some of the organization. You can put it into a structured sort of product format. But ultimately, you want to use that technology and those processes to give you more time to spend it on the things that actually allow you to spend a little bit more understanding the writer and putting in some sort of human aspects of why 
this content matters to that specific person and to the brand, et cetera. Absolutely. And ultimately, you write for a purpose, right? I think that's also something that, that shouldn't be forgotten, right? You have you have a business context that you write in, but that doesn't mean that everything has to be dry, right? And this this is this is another point that you make so well. And I think this is this that's super important to understand. When you have a writer, you most of the time you want them they are the subject matter expert, right? Or they right. they gain a lot of expertise, they research a lot, and um, you want that to be reflected. And so I think it's also an art of setting tight constraints or or allowing a bit more creative freedom. How do you think about that in the content brief creation process? Um, the 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 way I think about it is it's my job to remove as much friction as humanly possible between what the outcome is and anything that's getting in the way of that outcome. And so as you go down the spectrum of understand SEO to have no idea about what SEO is about, you'd be actually pretty surprised that sometimes you think a writer that knows SEO actually is going to produce a better product. And sometimes it's not the, not the case. So what my job is to do, and you know, some people might be listening to this and going, well, oh, this sounds fluffy, like content briefs, cool, sounds super boring. I challenge you to test if you have a process that has these or not. I guarantee you that the results that you'll be able to see that. So if you're looking to test this first before you roll it out to your writers, I've gone through the pain myself of thinking you can get away with these and not, and then seeing the results and the revisions and the time and the energy that we all spend. But ultimately, like your job isn't to coach them on what to write. Your job is to clearly articulate what is a successful completion of this task and then get out of the way, let them use their creativity to solve that problem. And so once you get into that sort of engine and repeatable processes and you get all this stuff put in together into a brief process, then you can eng you can create an engine out of it. And so you can start to scale this across hundreds of writers. But until you've put in the time and effort to talk to the writers, understand what th they need and really have a conversation with them, then you're just going to be giving them the things that everybody else gives them, titles, keywords, topics, etc. And like... I know I went to school for journalism and then went into SEO. So I just so happened to be that person who went backwards. I went from content to SEO because nobody was finding it. And now I'm going from SEO to content. And so it's like putting that lens on, you have to understand these, this is a hard job. Like it's also really difficult as a person in content today because there's an ever increasing demand to produce things at scale, to go quickly, et cetera. So the, the more time you put into these little things that will scale infinitely from you, the more return you see on those things. The, the details matter. And you already you also mentioned uh, a couple of the typical components of a brief, uh, keywords, metadata, whatnot. Maybe you would talk for a hot second about the basic components of a content brief and then what components would make a content brief like top-notch. Yeah, sounds good. I mean, like there, there, are, there are a few basic things like, does the writer understand what the ideal business outcome is? In SEO terms, we might say, hey, you know, the goal here is for them to uh, download something or sign up or buy. But there are ways you can state that that are that are a little bit more human. Like, hey, what if 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 everything went perfectly here, we'd expect the reader to do X and here's why. And so they understand the context. I think the important thing is to coach them to understand the difference between sales copy and a really good SEO copy that gets people to take an action. No better example than Ahrefs. They, uh, they do a fantastic job of educating informing but then also bridging the gap between i understand this and now i need to take action it's not a very like clear line to a, a lot of writers if you're like hey this article is about seo tools and i want them to download our tool 
oftentimes they will just go sales copy. Like, how do I convince you to download it? But these are the these are the most important aspects of uh, explaining those things to writers. One thing I, I see that's really overthought or like underthought is uh, probably underthought is that uh, we forget about describing who the person is behind the writing assignment. So if you're targeting like myself or Kevin, right, you know that we work in SEO and, you know, our jobs are to do X, Y, Z, but describe who that person is. I guess like the classic example of that would be like the HubSpot persona methodology, but you can have things that are like um, user stories or interviews with people that your sales team have been on or service teams have been on. Like if you record gong calls and you're like, hey, this is exactly who we're talking to. Little things like that, turn it from here's Bill who works at Phrase and does marketing. Like that's more mechanical. If you can add some context that people can relate to just like we are right now, those things help a ton. And I don't see a lot of people doing that. Yeah, that's such a good, that's such a good point. I mean, now, now that I work at Shopify, it's a much more product-driven company and we do speak to customers on a regular basis but it's not the same as when you have a sales driven company um like g2 where i worked before and we listen to a ton of of sales cars in fact i remember very vividly that when we were creating content and doing content marketing for g2 track which is another g2 SaaS product that helps companies basically monitor their SaaS spend we had one kind of lead content marketer and she sat in on sales course she listened uh, calls she listened to all the gong recordings and that helped tremendously especially the more technical your product is the harder it, it seems to be to really push yourself into the shoes or minds of the customer and just listening and looking at even the words that they use the jargon the way they phrase things reflecting all of that in your content goes such a long way, right? Makes it more relatable, um, more helpful, and uh, yeah, overall, it's just a better experience. So, how do you augment your content briefs? You know, besides the the bare bones, most um, essential elements, what else would you advise people to add to the content briefs to make to make it easier and better for writers to create their content? Yeah, I mean, simple things like examples. If you say to a writer, "I want to write an article that has." you know, um, by purchasing intent. They don't understand that. Take a second to record like a loom video, um, of you kind of describing what exactly that means. Show some examples. Hey, this is when, uh, I think a best, uh, a really good example would be like, Hey, if you wrote a best X, like, Hey, best SEO software that makes sense to us because we're in this world every single day, but a, like a better way to describe that to, uh, to the person who's using it would be like, Hey, the person here is a marketer. And so they are looking for a shopping list in order for you to make a purchasing decision. Now they're not going to make the decision yet. But this is the, the the best way for us to uh, optimize for what this person's looking for is to make sure that they have the most complete list so that they can have their list and carve it down. That's like how a human would describe it. So just use those sort of like humanistic ways to describe exactly what you're talking about. Take the time to pre-record some of these things and then you can engine and templatize all this stuff. So there's like I have a library from all the years of doing this where I'm like, here's what a informational post is about and here's real world examples. And then I literally sometimes will actually go and have a conversation with someone and we'll actually sort of talk like I'm talking to the end user. And then they're like, okay, I understand. They're looking for information. They're looking to get the process started of maybe going further in their research and they need data. And okay, I understand that. That makes sense to me. 
one thing that's really important for for just overall SEO, you know, uh, uh, strategy is understanding how semantic topics, related questions, etc. They all enhance the quality of the article. Now, we we will sometimes put those in because we're thinking search volume, PAAs, like that's how our brains work. But to the end user or the person who's writing it, you, you can explain to them and say, listen, this adds value to the post. And these topics that are related to it aren't just there just for, you know, search. They're there because um, this is how we can determine if this will be the most authoritative or the most complete article on the topic. And so what I've done is I've done the hard work for you. Now I just need you as the writing partner to help me complete that vision and add your own spin to it. Related questions, et cetera. Those things I think people most of the time get, they don't really, they probably don't care for the most part, like how you're going to use them. It's more like, hey, if you were the person reading this, how could you nail exactly what you're looking for? Oftentimes you read something, there are follow-up questions, so you can work through this process with them by describing it in ways that are relatable. Yeah, absolutely. And another thought that came up while you were talking about this is the difference between working with in-house writers and freelancers. Um, talk a little bit about the differences in a content brief or maybe even just working with in-house content teams versus teams of freelancers. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, like, obviously you have a lot more authority over kind of what goes on with uh, freelancers, particularly if they're coming out of your budget or it's your, out of your program. I think a lot of these rules still apply with internal folks, um, but it's more about helping them be successful. That's one thing I've noticed like over the years of doing this is like, what exactly are the writers looking to accomplish and how do how does SEO help them do that? Instead of going, God, I need all this content. We're always behind. Like, this is what I need. You know, we're, we, we have these goals. It's like, what are the goals that you have? How do I, as the internal advocate and the partner for you in the business, help you achieve those goals and work with them like you would if you were working with anybody that you deeply respected. And I think it's really important to take a step back and think that these are people, we're all on the same team. And ultimately, there's always going to be deadlines, like we're all going to be against pressure. But take a minute to really think about these things and spend time with them, like build up their relationships, because um, anybody can send somebody a list of keywords, but very few people can create relationships that scale as you, the individual person inside doing SEO, maybe the SEO person of one, you cannot win without great relationships with your team and all the people that help you scale. And I think you have said some fantastic things about this in the past, because I think I've learned some tough lessons over the over the course of my period, uh, my, my, uh, my career. It's like, you can only do so much as an individual contributor. And so as you build these systems, you need to make sure that you have the, the relationships really tight with uh, your internal team. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's just part of the journey to go and, and learn that lesson. I certainly learned that lesson the hard way. I think it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's almost like normal, right? Uh, especially when you go from IC to manager, first you kind of want to do everything and then you just, you're being like, you, you learn your limits and then you realize that you can scale impact through management. And I think it's, it goes a really long way to establish that trust. In fact, I now believe that trust is one of the most important aspects of leadership because it, it changes so many things. To make that more tangible and in the context of content briefs, in a relationship where the writer trusts you, you can give maybe a bit higher constraints or or more explicit guidelines and um, they will work with that. And in an untrusting relationship, they will come back and question or they will feel questioned and will feel mistrusted, right? So like even even 
and, and, and this is actually like a very important aspect because it will save you time, right? If you can just give a brief to a writer and they will not only kind of work within your guidelines, but also if you miss something or if they have a good idea, they will feel safe to work that into the content, right? It saves time, makes the content better, has all these kind of tangible hard number outcomes, but it's it's, it's also an aspect that's that's easy to, to miss. And so another point, and maybe one of the last points I wanted to zoom in on when it comes to content and content briefs is motivating writers. Because one thing that I learned from working with writer teams of, of more than 30 people of large teams is that it can be really taxing to churn out 15, 20, 25,000 words um, sure. a week, right? Like that's after some time, even if you write about the most interesting thing, it can become really difficult and a challenge. So how do you think about motiva- motivating and incentivizing writers? Yeah, it's like, um, you know, you run a big team at, at Shopify and I'm sure when you first started, you went around and you talked to every person and you were like, I want to understand what gets this person out of bed in the morning. And some, for the most part, people have relatively consistent uh, like buckets of things that motivate them. It's usually like, do they want to be well-known? Do they want to build up their credibility? Do they want to feel a sense of team? All the psychological frameworks, actually Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if y'all haven't checked that out, uh, it's fantastic. It's like an old school kind of psychology lesson. But most people are thinking about money, increasing their ability to be part of the team, feeling socially connected, et cetera. Like they want you to shout them out at the next team meeting. Hey, this person did a great job on this. Those are the the soft skills and the things that as you're the process owner and you're seeing all these different folks you're, you're working with, try to take some notes and like understand how you can level that person up because this isn't about you. It's not about how much traffic you drove this month. It's about all the people that made that process happen. And once you start thinking that way, then you start to th- say to yourself, this is an optional. This is just part of building in a fantastic engine. And like, as you scale the team and, gr- and you know this, you have a much bigger team than I do. We're only six people here. Um, as you start to grow the, the, the operations, a lot of the technical aspects of operationalizing content and SEO become less important. And it's more about like what motivates the people and gets them excited. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I was I was a bit resistant to that idea uh, when I first started managing people because it sounds so uh, woohoo and hippie and like oh we just need to be motivated <laughs> we just need to trust each other and love everything and then everything's fine right uh, but but I learned that this actually is the job right and if you are motivated and if you are engaged your ideas and your input will be so much better. It will take you less time. It will be much better ideas, right? Things will flow much faster. comes back to this concept that Elon Musk first described. Um, and it was this, this idea of vectors, right? And he basically thinks of every employee as a vector that points in a certain direction. And no matter how productive you are as an employee, if, if everybody is aligned and works toward the same direction, the outcome is exponentially greater than when there is misalignment, right? And, and I, th- I thought it was such a beautiful mathematical way to describe how this kind of intangible, hard to grasp concept actually has a hard business impact, right? So um, really love about that. And so to, to pivot a little bit, when we talk about content and content generation and content briefs and leading content teams, one topic that has started to come to mind in the last 12, maybe 24 months is GPT-3. And so when you post on Twitter, Suresh Kumar Gandhi 
actually asked us to talk a little bit about GPT-3 for content um, and basically wants to learn more about the future of search in the context of AI-generated or machine-generated content. What's your take on that? Yeah, sure. So for people who aren't aren't familiar, GPT-3 is a technology that was released by OpenAI, um, Sam Altman and those folks. Um, essentially, what they did was they said, uh, how good of a natural language model could we build if we literally crawled the entire internet or pretty close to it? And so over the past few years, um, we have seen tremendous progress in the AI and NLG space. Um, almost shocking to me, actually, because I think like a year ago, I tried playing around with these tools and they were hit or miss. I mean, they, they would do a sentence or two of, of language generation that was reasonable, um, but things are changing quickly. And so the game of content creation and SEO is going to change real fast. So, I mean, basically what we're talking about here is the ability to basically say, I want you to write about a certain thing. Here's the general guidelines and then let the technology run and start to write that content for you. So um, for those of you who have not played with some of those tools, it's pretty mind blowing. I wouldn't expect you to be able to say, write a blog post about SEO and then be able to get the whole thing out. We're not there yet, um, but it's coming. I think we're at an interesting time in the, the overall history of SEO because for years now, Google has really struggled with the idea that they've got an increasing amount of demand for answers to super niche questions. So you see things like um, passage optimization, being able to extract specific areas of text to match your query a lot better. We see featured snippets because people just want a quick answer. They don't necessarily want to be on the article to search for that information. So what ends up happening is uh, now that AI and GPT-3 are starting to make a lot of progress, the dynamics of that marketplace, the Google marketplace, problems and solutions, right? The dynamic has changed. And now we're going to start getting into an era where you can basically create anything you want at the click of a button. We're not there yet, but we're getting pretty close. And so my my take and everybody, the, the team at, at Phrase have been thinking about if that hypothesis is true, and it looks pretty true, looks like we're heading in the direction where uh, being able to generate basically a long form article is 24 months away, maybe less. So if that's the case, then who's going to win and what implications does that have on Google? So first things first, we know that there is a tremendous amount of energy going into keeping you on site on Google. I don't see that changing. I think you and I have talked like off the air about these types of things. And I think that um, the future of SEO or the SERP is going to be a lot more like a product, a product experience. And if y'all haven't seen the COVID-19 SERPs where they're getting very specific information, completely structured, there's not a lot of content, if any, uh, that, that goes directly to sites. They're extracting everything as possible because it's a very sensitive uh, topic, right? If that's the future of the SERP where everything is all about extracting information, and keeping you on Google, then think about this. If you can press and click an answer to any question, the, the marketplace will then turn quickly to who has the best answer. We're already kind of in that progress already. Like we see blips of it on the SERP, but I think as content creation gets a lot easier, it's going to be putting a, a huge emphasis on creating original, unique, and highly authoritative answers to very niche questions. 
And if you think that kind of works, right? Like marketplaces, like if you have a shortage of supply and too much demand, like that's a problem. And so we're kind of shifting now to where you can automatically create that content. So what does that mean for SEOs? What I think it means, and the hypothesis that we're working under at Phrase is that if there's infinite supply, then you must do everything possible to make sure that your answer is the best and the most unique and adds the most value to the end user. So what we've been thinking about is how do we make tools and processes to help you do exactly that? Currently, what we've done is we've built some AI and LG tech that basically allows you to look at a snippet on a SERP. Let's say it's like, what is tech bound, right? There might be a great answer on there. But if everybody can press a button and go, what is tech bound and generate an answer that's pulling from relatively the same database, the, the, the winners will be the people who are able to synthesize and process the general statements on this and then add their own value. So what we're doing is we're building stuff to like help you quickly paraphrase a block of text, to help you quickly understand the related semantic topics to a specific block of text, being able to automatically generate a brand new header or title. And so these quick tools are not about going from uh, a thought to an article, it's the actual inverse. We're more thinking, how do we help you quickly extract and then act on these things versus just being able to generate because the market quickly is going to go to, I can create anything I want. That's basically the, 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 long, the long answer. And I think in addition to that, if the SERP continues in the evolution it is now, where it's more about productized information and less about a click market, over to web different websites, then you as the website owner, you need to do everything you possibly can to have the best unique answer that adds the most value to the user and also structure your website so that it's able to get max distribution. It's almost like Facebook ads. Like if you don't have creative that's able to get on all these different placements, you're just going to only have so much scale that you can possibly get. And so that's the way I think about structured data, all this different stuff that's coming out with passages. Uh, that's my take on it. What are your thoughts, Kevin? Yeah, I, I love that topic and I love how you think about it, especially the way you call Google a marketplace of searches and information. And when you said when you, when you mentioned that, you know, I think if Google can, so let's put it this way, I think there's certain supply that Google with the help of GPT-3 might just be able to produce directly without the help of exactly. other websites. And then there's going to be a, I think there's a moral dilemma Right, because I think there's a difference between, for example, Google entering the car sales market and aggregating results, or even the, the flight market, the hotel market, or Google kind of providing the answer for millions of queries directly and kind of more or less making websites redundant. Right, I think like that's one more dilemma. But then the other second order consequence or, or dilemma is what's the data set that Google trains that AI on? And exactly. even though GPT-3, as far as I understand, doesn't need supervision, um, it still needs a, a training set, right? Sure. And if you, you know, like that, it, it almost goes back to like Google using a lot of information from Wikipedia and Wikipedia being open source. And so the question is, you know, is that okay? Is that not okay? Technically should be okay, should not be okay. And I think it, it also quickly gets political, but I, I like how you then deferred the conversation toward what can people actually do? Because whether it's morally okay or not, I think this might be more a decision. <laughs> you know, another for hour. <laughs> yeah, another hour or two. And it might also be more a decision to make for courts, you know, or for the Department of Justice. That aside, I like how you focus on 
what masters what webmasters can do and what content even makes sense these days and i actually spend a lot of time over the last couple of months to write about commodity content which is basically content that anybody can create easy to replicate think about dictionaries recipes a couple of other uh, pieces of content as well or content formats and so the, the question then becomes you know how can you create something that that is unique and that's outstanding and so how would you how would you recommend companies to explore that right like how can you basically shed all the commodity content and how do you how do you find how do you develop a canonical piece of content for a topic yeah um geez that's really tough i mean i think if if words are a commodity now where you can press a button um then you need to start thinking deeply about how to create a competitive advantage like are you going to be the speed shop or are you going to be the i have unique data or i have unique abilities to visualize content or i have unique ways to do a podcast uh a video and all these other things as, as sort of a media company on top of you know sort of standard text-based content i think we're like we've already crossed the threshold where you need to start thinking about these different ways to create advantages right now but in terms of advising people, I would think to yourself, first of all, like, how do you best serve the person that you're trying to target, right? So I'll take an example. I'm big into to cryptocurrency. And so a lot of the folks that are in that space will productize specific aspects of their web, their, their web facing assets. And so if I want to go see what the conversion of Bitcoin to USD is today, you can go search. There's a great, you know, elaborate product that shows you that in a visual way. And so, um, that is something that the competitors could just recreate because that's public data. But if they were able to build some internal products or, uh, engineering resources that said, Hey, we've actually got some research that shows correlation between this and something else that somebody else can't build. Now you're talking. And if you can make that and uh, both you can disseminate that through web-based content, through audio, through all these video contents, and then create distribution on top of that, and that's probably a pretty good recipe. But I think starting to think to yourself, if text-based content is starting to become easier and easier to create, then how do I start placing bets today that allow me to succeed for the next 10 years or five years? I don't know how to answer that question for anybody as a general concept. But a good example is um, a friend of mine who does you know, SEO at a large uh, video company. We were talking before uh, she joined the, 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 the team and I was like, well, how are you going to differentiate your, your content and your SEO strategy from the competitors? What are the things that they're not doing well that would be receptive to your end audience? A good example would be, can you do really good data illustrations and visualizations? Could you hire somebody, actually invest that money to get an expert in that because that creates distance between you and your competitors and how quickly can you press that button and scale that quickly that's another thing to consider because if you hire somebody and you're writing blog posts one at a time but the time you know they might be able to capture that and be able to recreate it yourself so uh, all these things are are important to think about but you and i talk about this all the time it's like how do you separate yourself from the competition and seo is getting a lot harder to do that in today's like playbook so start looking at companies like you know, really innovative companies who are like crushing it with product led type of stuff. Like what are they doing to blur the product between SEO and their end product? Some of those lessons that you can take from, I mean, look at HubSpot. I mean, I, when I was working there, uh, they were largely a text-based blog-based con uh, content company. And they've quickly shifted over to a more app style uh, type of experiences because that creates distance between them and their competitors and they're placing bets in the future. So start thinking about that. I think that's really important. 
sounds expensive and it really complicated and it probably is but um i wouldn't wait until this new era is here i would start thinking about that now and a really important point you mentioned is kind of to create content in different formats at google io this year i think i think google actually made it pretty clear that they want a multimodal index or corpus right so um when we talk about mum the kind of newest machine learning kind of uh, toy that, that google developed um then i think one one thing that stood out to me is that it's a multimodal model meaning it, it can it, uh, extract information from text video audio images and kind of merge them co together or combine them right and i think in the same way that Google thinks about extracting information, we should think about creating information and think about, okay, what where does it actually make sense to, to pick an image? Where does it make sense to pick a video, audio, or text? And when do you want to merge these different concepts? But I see it more and more actually in the search results. More questions are answered by a video than actually a... I see um, it too. Yeah. Right, then, then actually text. So uh, <laughs> just recently, a good example, looking for a new uh, electric toothbrush. Um, and I've done a lot of research because I want to spend a bit more money on that toothbrush on which is the best one. And it's a big purchase. Think, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a big, big important purchase. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's also something where I do a bit more research. And I noticed that the majority of that research is now happening on YouTube and not on Google anymore, right? So the point about really critically thinking what format to pick and where to create what content, maybe even recycle content, maybe it's recycling is such a bad word, but uh, you know, maybe repurpose content is, is a better formulation. Um, that I think is something that, that too many CEOs are not thinking about these days, right? And that's even something that could, could kind of come back to when we talk about content briefs, right? Like could be another, another question or another point to add, like what format to pick? Is there a video we have that we can create, um, you know, uh, to, to enrich the content? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, we always say, you know, putting questions because we want more search traffic. Well, why don't you put in some questions and make those moments inside of your YouTube videos? Because they could be popular questions people are asking. So you need to, first of all, know what people are looking for. Number two, systemize it, be able to extract it and organize it for your creators to do something with it. Um, and then also be able to get the most out of this energy. So when people say content brief, I'm like, it's actually just kind of like a, a, a brief about all types of content. It's not necessarily just, you know, an article, but I, I think, you know, we've talked about this like offline. I think the, the people who are going to be killing it in the next five, 10 years are going to be more thinking about like a product manager role than they are going to be about like, you know, links and content. I, I know that that's the, the current state and I'm going way out, out, out here on, on this one, but like those, uh, principles i think apply very well when you start thinking about what it could be in the future about being able to move quick have really good data and be able to act on those things at scale really quickly those are super important concepts to start thinking about no doubt and while we talk about ai machine learning content i think we also want to talk a little bit about kind of the future of the SERP. i think we we already uh touched some of these uh concepts but i want to make sure we set a little aside a little bit of time to really zoom in on this and so the, the question is you know with google using so much more machine learning how are the search results changing as a whole you know like what what are the trends that we're observing and and what kind of opportunities do you see to to still thrive in this changing environment yeah, I mean, like, I don't even think about Google SERP as like a, a SERP 
it's more like a product, you know, like a mobile UI. They've been heading that way with all these different things they've been doing with Discover and like structured data, et cetera. Like that's the apps we use every single day. Everything's structured, it's formatted. It's able to for them to understand a structured environment from a data perspective a lot more than they can when websites are a mess, right? It's really a difficult job for Google to process that information. I think it's pretty clear to me, and I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of people that disagree with this, but I think it's pretty clear that um, your, your, your content or whatever you call it today is gonna be more about structuring it so that it's easily digestible and it can fit wherever Google sees it's useful from the UI, but also the user. Starting to understand who are the people that uh, that I'm trying to target? What are the, the, the media formats that they, they most enjoy? And then how can I make it easily consumable and structured so that when Google finds a good fit for it, it's a, it's a perfectly structured for them. Just relying on the SERP and just going down the path of trying to get people over to your site. I think that like, if you don't see that coming, you're not paying attention, like to start thinking about these types of things. So when that plays out for the SERP, I really do think it's going to be more like an app on our phone at some point where all the information is just disseminated to them and they control the entire environment. That doesn't sound like good and it sounds like SEO is dead yet again, but it is not dead. It just means it's different as usual. And I'm sure you, you have some thoughts on that as well. <laughs> yeah, actually, why you said that, one of the first thoughts is that this seems to be what Apple is building right now. Um, I don't want to get lost too much in the conversation about Apple's search engine and are they building one or not. But I think if they build one, it, it will very much look like what you described, which is a, an interface probably on your iPhone, which replaces the search function and basically gives you information from all different sorts of sources, including the web, or questions or uh, that you have or topics that you search for. Um, so I, I think kind of we're dancing a little bit about the around the question. I want to I want to ask you straight up: Do you think in this kind of product future that is the search that is the SERP or the search engine result page? Do you think there's still a place for websites, or do you expect that websites, so to say, will have to? do a lot of diversification of traffic channels because they will get less and less traffic from Google? That's a good question. I mean, like, I know the answer I want to say, and then I know the answer that, like, my stomach and my deep heart is feeling. As a person who's in this this tech, I'm like, well, maybe there's a place. There's a place for us humans to to feed the algorithm. Maybe there isn't. The, if you forget about SEO for a second, and you and I have worked in in-house at some some pretty quick moving software companies and the product teams are fantastic and what they are the best at in the world is killing friction. So their job is to remove physical or cognitive friction to get you to go from, I don't even know about this company or this product to then using it. That's what Google's job is. It's not to cater to websites. At some point, I, I am fairly confident. I don't know when that timeline will be that NLG and all this technology will be so good that Google will be less and less likely to rely on external sources of information. And so you brought up a good point earlier, which is like, how does it retrain that? That's the, the, the thing that I don't know is what is going on in the lab at Google that they either are going to make a choice where they say, this is nice to have, or we need the input from websites. And I don't know when that's going to happen or what that's going to shake out to be, but like, what are the things you can do? you can make it easier for them to train their AI. And you can make your website super clean and fast and easy for people to enjoy while they're figuring this out. But don't you think, I mean, I'm curious what your thoughts are like, if you were the product manager for Google search, 
what would you do if you had unlimited budget, which they clearly do, and they have unlimited engineering talent? Like, it seems pretty clear to me, but I, it sounds like some folks don't feel that way. And I'm a little bit confused. Like, how do you feel about that? I think it is a question of Google's goals or what your goals are as a product manager. Is it to drive more revenue? Is it to improve the experience to a degree? And if it's about revenue, and we all know that Google still heavily relies on on ads as a revenue driver. In fact, over 80% of Alphabet's revenue still come from ads. To squeeze more revenue, you probably want to find ways to show more ads to people, right? And and you might have a better chance to do that when you keep people on your platform rather than sending them to websites. On the other hand, if it's about improving the experience and um you know, making making it uh, making Google more helpful, which is something that 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 Sundar Pichai has really talked about at yep. Google I/O. In this case, you know, I think this that creating a more immersive experience um, on Google and connecting Google with all the other properties, um, like or let's let's say connect Google Search with other properties like Gmail, like YouTube, like um, a couple um, you know of the assets that Google owns. I think in that case, I think there's there's much more to squeeze out, and I found it very interesting. Um, to test out Neba, a new search engine that is subscription-driven and not ad-revenue-driven, seeing how they approach that. And they have some really interesting product features that are, that that to me kind of point a little bit at the direction that Google might go to. So it's like a, a long ramble to say that um, it depends a little bit on the incentives and the goals and where Google wants to go. I also think that there are natural constraints like uh, regulation and like... Um, you know the government kind of uh, potentially putting a wall between these things. I can, I can see that kind of being the biggest issue. Um, but I also found it very interesting how Google puts more effort into workspace to to create a productivity product. Yeah. And a piece of me truly hopes that they drive a lot more subscription revenue with workspace so that they're less reliant on ads and they don't have to tighten the screws on, on advertising in the Google search results and hopefully <laughs> allow websites to, to live in that environment a bit longer. That's, yeah, that's sure. a long-winded way to say that. I mean, like, if Google had its way, everybody would host their website on Google and we would just be part of the app infrastructure. And it would be a lot easier for them to crawl, index, and understand the content. And obviously, nobody wants to do that because they don't want to give up the control. But I think we might be close to a day where there's no choice. Because if structured data and, and all these different efforts Google's making to understand your websites, it's such a big deal. And they're promoting it so hard because it helps them understand the content. You might get to a crossroad in a few years where they say, look, either... You allow us to be able to understand your content a lot easier, a lot more structured, and here are the guidelines for you to do that. Or you just won't be included. And that's possible. That's totally possible. Would that upset a lot of people? Would that cause more drama in the the legislative arena? Probably. Um, there's some crazy stuff coming. I think that's like, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I think like if I was an engineer, the happy medium would just be like, hey, join the, you know what I mean? If you can't beat him, join him. Like, like literally just put all your stuff on Google and just say, forget it. Like this is the primary way we're going to get distribution unless, like you said, the business model changes, which seems unlikely or another competitor pushes the agenda faster. And so I think that's probably the more likely thing to, uh, to, that would come out of that. But I agree with you. It's it's a rented property, right? That you that you get traffic from, and you're like you have very little saying in how much traffic you get. Um, I, I I also think to kind of come full circle that if you have outstanding content, like 
and, and say there was no more Google, right? Like, I think there would be other mechanisms uh, that people will discover your content, whether it's to something like a, like a hacker news, right? Like a curation of websites, exactly. social media, and so on. Or you but can just subscribe I, to TechBound. Get the <laughs> or great content. <laughs> or to your podcast, uh, Phil, or to your website. Um, but uh, I, I truly believe, right? And I think this is kind of this is kind of a key lesson that I took away from you and from this conversation. I truly believe that good content will always reach the target audience. You have to like not not without doing anything for it. But yep. even in a world where, say, there was no more Google search or organic traffic, I think even in that world, outstanding content will always drive business, right? And yep. so I think the the question, you almost have to detach the question of whether Google will use GPT-3 to create answers themselves, right? Or if, if GPT-3 will make that kind of redundant. I think at the end of the day, if you invest in outstanding, amazing content, that will always drive business. Yeah. Nirvana for Google is there's no friction between you and creating content. Uh, I think we're getting closer to that where the sort of utility content is no longer what they need it's more stuff like this this conversation sharing thoughts because somebody's going to find that and go oh let's go down the rabbit hole of you know xyz they're going to consume it in a different way and this like general knowledge content is probably going to get phased out at some point because the the models are just getting too good at understanding what you need from a transactional level but this dialogue that's really hard to create recreate so if there's anybody out there that's thinking to themselves what should i bets should i place i think stuff like we're doing right now is probably the best bet you can you can place at least to build your own brand and control your own distribution and kind of put up a moat that is harder to crack right you, all the people who subscribe to TechBound are very interested in what you have to say and obviously for a good reason you have awesome things to say and so uh that's a lot harder to, to recreate than it is to write a blog post that you could send out to somebody else and so do you, Bill. And that's why I'm so glad that you came on TechBound to talk about this. I feel excited, even after the last couple of sentences, really gets, gets me amped up. Uh, but I also love the conversation. I think, you know, I think we, we can really tie a bow on this thing. It's, I think we came full circle. I think we, we have a lot of good nuggets in here. But I won't let you go without you telling people where they can find and follow you. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can find, you know, we're, we're building products to help you create content a lot faster, easier, um, over at phrase.io, F-R-A-S-E.io. The best way I would describe it, our mission is to be like Notion or uh, like a Airtable for SEO. That's that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to remove the friction from going from idea to first draft of your article, faster, easier, better. Um, that's the first thing. Second thing is I'm launching my own podcast. You can find out information on BillKingTM.com and Kevin, will be one of my first guests and we're going to get after it. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> oh, we are, man. We are. <laughs> Thanks so much, Bill. This was amazing. Always great talking to you. Always learn a lot. Um, thank you for, for sharing that and coming on. Um, and yeah, man, I'm excited to get this live. So yeah. Thanks again. And uh, we'll talk it. soon. Thanks. Boom. And that's a wrap. Three, two, one.